normally we say is very clearly is that for the first four months, there is zero margin and therefore we allotted a bit of equity. Uh, our upside, our margin is actually converted into equity. When you think about it, it actually means that our cash compensation is worth less because now we're trading it into equity, right? And, and, and equity, obviously, I mean, the dollar today is definitely always worth more than the dollar tomorrow. So we take the risk already, right, as such. For the next 12 months, the amount of money that we ask to actually support the day-to-day -day is negligible compared, right? You know, if you put it in the, the, the tunes of even some of the cheaper consultancies, probably one-tenth of what they ask mm. for, right, for, for, for that. And we take on then the responsibility of making sure that the venture arrives to a serious age and investable okay. steps. Welcome to our new episode of this podcast about Agile. I'm Hugo Messer, the host today. I'm going to interview somebody special who has come to Indonesia and gained a lot of experience on how to do innovation. So the topic for today is mostly innovation. So I wanted to start by relating innovation with Agile. In my opinion, if we talk about Agile, we talk about transformation. So we're trying to change people. We're trying to change a large group of people in an enterprise to work and think in a different way. So agile transformation has three pillars usually. It's about agile, which is about changing the way we work. The second is about digital. So we want to create digital products, especially since COVID forced a lot of companies to become more digital. So it's about creating digital solutions, using digital tools in order to service clients in a different way. And the third pillar is innovation. Uh, innovation means creating new products, new services, or doing things in a completely different way. And what I see in the landscape today is a lot of enterprises have a pattern of creating innovation. And most companies, when they get out, when they start thinking about innovation, they start, for example, accelerators. So looking around in my LinkedIn, I see every day some big venture, uh, some big enterprise talking about or announcing some new uh, accelerator in which they call upon startups or founders or people with great ideas to join their competition and then when they're good enough they will earn a decent amount of money. I've tried that myself as an entrepreneur and I believe this is not always the best way for entrepreneurs nor for the corporates. So what I want to discuss about today is a new way to start this innovation instead of doing an accelerator starting something new instead of hiring a consultancy that preaches you how to do innovation or how to start innovation, you can do it in a different way. And a different way is venture building. So in this episode, I've got Ziv Rogowski, who is an expert in this topic. So he's done venture building himself. He's done it for corporates. And that's what we're going to discuss about today. So Ziv, please introduce yourself. Uh, nice to be here, Hugo. Thank you very much. Um, I wouldn't know that I wouldn't describe myself yet as an expert, but thank you for the vote of confidence. Um, so I've been in Indonesia for the last 10 years, I actually came here as a consultant. Uh, and, and since 2014, left to uh, first run my own startups, then do some corporate innovations, both in Myanmar and in Indonesia. And, and about eight months ago, together with a few uh, partners, we've put together Right Partners. Uh, right Partners is a venture builder, as you mentioned. Uh, it does aim to be a bit different than a consultancy venture builder, which is what we see in the market right now. Um, and, um, you know, we've been so over the last eight months, um, we have created an organization that um, has worked together with 
around six mandates with four different corporate partners. We call them corporate partners, partners and not clients. Uh, together with them. Why is that? Uh, so very good question. Um, you know, clients assumes that there is a relationship that is not a partnership. We are a vendor. We're providing a service for yeah. someone. In the venture building, the way we think about venture building is to partner together with our corporate partners to build something new. And so that means that we are partnering with them. Therefore, they cannot be a client. Um, you know, so in the last uh, eight months, we have now um, worked on five different uh, ventures that are equity investable ventures. We focus on uh, investable corporate ventures, which are ventures that ultimately could be invested by an outside party. Yeah. Right, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, so out of the five, four have already passed uh, investment committee, which is good. Um, and then one more will actually go through investment committee next week. Um, and then we've done a bit of other work as, as that. So quite exciting um, and very excited to be here. Okay, cool. Thanks for the intro. So maybe for the audience that doesn't know yet about venture building, try to explain the term venture because for me, it, it calls upon the term of startup and I think venture is somewhat similar, but also different. So tell us a bit more about what a venture is and how venture building works. Right. So I think based on your earlier structure, you suggested that there is essentially three pillars, right? The initial transformation, changing the way people think, digital, and obviously then ultimately innovation. Within innovation, you mentioned that there is new services or new capabilities that can be built. What we focus on in venture building is a new venture, which could either be a new business unit, but we actually shy away from focusing on business units, right. or a standalone entity, hence a venture, right? Uh, that particular venture is normally one where the corporate is saying it's a capability that they want to understand better or learn. A good example of that would be one of our work in Malaysia with um, a large telco, which is said, we're telco, but we have interest in supporting the Malaysian and beyond that digital education. So we're gonna create a venture that is outside of our core, to actually explore what would education through mobile and things like that would look like. So that's an example of a venture. Okay, so let me hook into that because I'm doing a transformation for about a year together with telecoms. I'm helping them as a, as a coach, as, as an executive coach to implement a digital unit, to make their digital unit more agile. And in telecom Indonesia, they have multiple initiatives for the last three or four years to stimulate entrepreneurship or to create innovation. So they have the Amiga program in which I think the idea is they build with their internal people, they build ventures. Yeah? People are allowed to come up with ideas and they get money and time to work on those ideas together with a team and they have certain metrics that they have to achieve. Then they have the digital division, which is where I'm doing my work right now. So it's the traditional digital division organized in an agile way. And they have the Indigo program, which is to make Telcom collaborate with external startups. So those are all internally driven things, except for Indigo, because Indigo basically says, okay, we have a co-working space and we have support mechanisms from Telcom to collaborate with Telcom to bring your startup innovation to the market. How is the model that you are bringing different? Okay. I think you've mentioned one word there, which was quite interesting, which is internal, right? I mean, and, and leveraging internal resources and whatnot. If you look at the whole idea of what driven what driven a lot of the topic around innovation is actually what we call startups or ventures in the wild, right? Which are ventures that are started by two people in their garage, like the in the wild. Said. Oh, in the wild because they're not being helped by anybody else, right? Yeah. You know, so so basically, you know, the the, the mythology of two people in their garage yeah, coming up with zero, something right. exactly, right? Uh, and I think that is a bit of the of the, the idea. Now, 
within Right Partners, we actually don't subscribe to the mythology of like, you know, the founder being this magician that, you know, makes things happen from nothing. But we do subscribe to some of the mentality that suggests that the idea that there is equity, the idea that the, the founder or, you know, is actually running a bit of his own show makes him much more motivated than an employee, say, getting a little bit of money, a little bit of time and knowing that the upside pretty much doesn't accrue to him. Right. So there has to be some risk reward mechanism yeah. to support venture. That is awfully difficult at times to do within a regular corporate structure. That's where we come in. Why is that difficult to do? Because the mindset of changing someone that was an employee until today and basically saying you're not an employee anymore. So your current uh, management structure no longer applies because now you are an entrepreneur. So you have a lot more decision factor. Yeah. You, you get a lot more upside you suddenly get equity instead of getting just salary and whatever it is that's a switch that is difficult to happen within an organization yeah and many and even identifying that person you know we do find that there is a there's people that are inherently more interested in tolerating some sort of risk with the reward and some people that are saying i'm actually less interested in risk and whatnot and that makes it within a corporate structure you know that identifying who's who is often not so easy Taking them out from the day-to-day -day business to start working on a venture, venture you were asking earlier, also means risk, right? So the idea that I'm now taking a semi-senior manager who has a PL or something like that and asking them to work on something new is also complicated for most businesses. Yeah. So one thing that triggers me now is that I'm an entrepreneur, right? I started a couple of companies out of nothing. So I kind of buy into that myth, myth, myth that you just described. Uh, because I do it myself, but I also see why it is limiting in a certain extent, especially if you do it alone, like me. But what I what I find what what I find challenging sometimes when I help my clients because I'm trying to bring entrepreneurship there, right? So, but what I see is people are sometimes it's not only about the risk; it's also about being able to see that something something big, something far out. Like I'm trying to create something into the future, future, and I have a notion of what that could look like, and then translating that to actions today or maybe the next month or the next quarter to get there i think that that ability lacks very often in, in traditional let's say traditional people working in a in a company how do you see that i think the nature of corporates versus the nature of startups in the wild as we discussed is a bit different a corporate normally has its next quarter's goals or two quarters goals right. and it has to make money and it has to be profitable adventures as we see now and one of the reasons why you know, we are challenging a bit and, and you know, the, the, the idea of the normal venture in the wild is because we do think it's went the complete other way where many, many ventures are not ever expected to make a profit. I mean, if you look, you know, at, which, at some, yeah, you know, yeah, which, which exactly, which, which doesn't actually make sense. But there's somewhere in the middle that says, can I create a business plan or a vision that goes a bit beyond the next quarter, beyond the next two quarters? And that's what we are trying to create right now. The way to merge those two together and, and, you know, is what we started doing is to actually bridge that next quarter, next half view of the corporate with the slightly longer view of the venture. And the way we do that is by mixing a bit between the corporate assets, bringing the entrepreneurs with outside, giving the optionality to the corporates to allow them to actually understand and make the right decision along the path of building the venture. But exactly, it addresses the gap between the, I'm an entrepreneur, hopefully something will work out someday, right? Because I'm willing to take so much risk versus I'm a corporate, 
I want to innovate, but I also have to focus on the short term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think what I take from this is the, the, the challenge of getting the right people in, right? Because in that venture, what makes the difference is the, the guys that you get in. Because if you have only the people who are used to this traditional notion of making KPIs or making good quality objectives or financial results, if you bring those into the venture, it's going to be challenging. So how do you, as right, get people in there? What's the structure? Like, wh wh how do you get the right people in and surrounding that venture to make it work, to bring that in? So normally we actually suggest to the corporates to start building the venture outside of uh, of their core processes. Yeah. So we often do not bring in people from the vent from the corporate as well to be the co-founders or whatnot. None. We often do not, right? Are there special cases where some people will say, "No, no, I really want to move"? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Uh, but but again, it, it the complexity of moving someone from a daily job and whatnot to something that is not, and the whole structure changes, is not trivial. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, what we do do is we involve the corporate side in the co-creation process. Right. So you know they do get to they they, they, go, they do get to learn how we do innovation, what is important, and all of these things through the process. But we normally bring the venture founders and the team from outside. Okay, so that also means by bringing people from inside to that to the program, they learn how to do innovation. So it's also a good it's cool for other people to do it internally later on for sure Rapid right i mean i mean because there's less than, i mean so now we're talking very very tactically right so let, let's talk about how we run a venture so we run a venture normally with a daily stand-up and trello and all of these things right that you would be very very right. familiar with that's very similar to your agile because that's and that's normally right. very very exactly and it's very dissimilar normally from how corporates operate which is why you also do your you know kind of business what they get to see uh as part of the venture building process is not necessarily how they transform their day-to-day -day operation, but how their this approach leads to a brand yeah, new yeah, venture. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, okay. But how do you attract the pool of people like that to, to help you? Because that's not easy. No, that's not easy. I mean, if you're thinking about, if we reflect on our business model for the last six months, there's three diff main difficulties and you've just identified one, right? You know, the three difficulties are, just to list them and then go into your question is, um, one would be exactly identifying the right talent, mm. right? Um, and, and I'll get to that in a second. The second one is educating the corporates, right? Because it is a new thing for them, and we'll probably touch that a bit later. And then the third one is getting the investment from outside, because VCs are not necessarily used to venture build models and such, right? Yeah. So these are actually the three challenges that as a startup ourselves we're trying to solve. How do we get the right person? And I think that is that is yeah actually is the the crux of the thing. Um, what we've learned is so far is that it's hard, yeah. right? So, and, and, and I wouldn't tell you today that we've figured this out 100%. But the ways that we do it is that we actually say that within our first four months when we design the venture, we can bring in a venture lead. We actually don't call him venture founder yet. And we test them. Right. And within the first four months, the outcome of that is that they have essentially a four months worth of um, you know, interview process. And we actually assess if they're the right fit to be the venture founder or not. Fortunately or not, I've had to change venture leads midway, right? Now, right. who are the right people? The right people are people that, in our case, that are not the mythological founder. Not because those people are bad, because those Thanks. are the people that will say, no, 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 because, I mean, you know, those people are the ones that will say, why do I need help? I'd rather go ahead yeah, by I myself, right? Yeah. Exactly. No, and, and, and I mean, and, and some of the best companies were created this way, right? Yeah. But the idea of being building a venture with a corporate and having ties to the corporate does mean that you need to be a bit more humble. 
yeah. and a bit more willing to yeah. work together yeah. with others, yeah. right? So I think that is a key key element. We call that coachability. Um, the second thing is you still need the founder mentality, right? And so the way that you balance it is that the risk reward profile of this mythological founder and the risk reward profile of the people that work with us slightly different. Yeah. Normally we get people that are a bit older, have families or people that are a bit younger and are saying, I'm not necessarily that ready yet, but I need a little bit of help. Yeah. What we focus on more is actually building them over the 12 to 16 months that we work together with the venture. Yeah. And the reason why that's important is because we believe that that first 16 months to get to that initial stage gate of investment is super important. And so we focus on getting the right kind of mindset and skills and whatnot. And then within our program, we build them over 12 to 16 months. By the way, this is one of the differences between us and an accelerator, as you mentioned earlier, because accelerator focus on a three months process, giving some classes, you know, uh, doing a few introductions, right. building a prototype on yeah. the side, and hopefully everything yeah, works that out. Mostly that doesn't go anywhere. Well, I, I wouldn't. I, I mean, think, I, well, if you look at the statistics, that what it said. Like, I, I mean, I wouldn't disagree with you, but I also don't want to yeah, diss yeah. my competitor. Right. That is that. But, but I think, but I think more importantly for us is to say, actually, venture building is a long process. Yeah. We do get into how do you develop the SOPs, how do you actually achieve sales, how do you actually do all of these things within the sixteen months. We yeah. act effect effectively as co-founders for the first four and then as many co-founders for the next 12. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and so that is the way that we solve it. Okay, let's let's zoom into that because I think that's also important. And it relates to your second point that you just mentioned. How do you get started with it? Right. So the, the traditional idea is I hire a consultant. Mm. And then and then uh, it's one of the big five usually because they also do some venture building. So I would I would uh, I was actually I was triggered by a video I saw from Steve Jobs in mm. which it's an old one. I think 20 years ago, and then he, he said something about consultancy. So he asked the, the roommates, anybody who's a consultant and, and started bashing them a little bit. But what I liked about the thing that he said, because I, I, I actually don't like to be a consultant myself. I, mm. I kind of hate it because I want to You're get You're an entrepreneur, going. right? You know, so. He had turned consultant to help them, but then you still consider that as a consultant, right? right? But eventually you want to get stuff done. That's, that's what gets me out of that. I want to change things and, and innovate. Um, but, you know, what he said is that the most important thing or the most important issue with consultancy models is they have no skin in the game. Mm. And I'm thinking that you may have found a solution to that or a formula that can actually work. So how, 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 do, you, how do you bring your own skin into the game? Okay, so we actually don't start with that as a thought process. We start first with what is a venture in the wild. Okay. And, and that's important. So if you look at statistics and pitch book, you will see that it costs about one point six to 1.8 it goes up a little bit of a year due to inflation and whatnot to bring a venture over 16 to 18 months to a series a right right and, and that is the benchmark now if we take away skin in the game for a second if you look at most of the consultancies if you talk if you're talking about 1.6 million dollars for 16 months you would hire a consultancy and, and most corporates we know this from anywhere you know for that amount of money you anyway get from three to six months of consultancy, right? You yet, you haven't yet paid for the tech, you haven't yet paid for customer yeah. acquisition costs or anything yeah. else. That's just the fees. Yeah. So, so when you look at that, it's very, very difficult to say then, you know, how do you relate building a venture versus, you know, versus a consultancy in terms of that? So what we do instead is we actually peg our fees, uh, as you will, for the first phase, for the design phase, as actually a pre-seed investment. Yeah. 
and that pays. And in fact, just yesterday we did a, we, we did an accounting review of kind of what what that would mean. That basically pays for four months of delivering the the venture to the investment committee at the level we want, right? Zero margin, you know, absolutely zero margin. Um, and in fact, what we learned is, and this is an interesting element about corporates, you know, that even after the investment decision is made, it still takes probably a month or two until you actually get the company incorporated and whatnot. Yeah, 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 sure. So the implication of that, we still need to carry that risk because yeah. we don't want to lose the venture founder in the middle or whatnot, right? right? So what you see is you move from a model that you pay four, five, six people, you know, a million and a half for three to six months, depending on which consultancy you hire, to having that budget have to go away, you know, to go all the way to 1.8 million, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. sorry, to 16 yeah. months. Uh, and that's a big change. And that is a element of the skin of the game. So what normally we say is very clearly is that for the first four months, there is zero margin and therefore we allotted a bit of equity. Yeah. Our upside, our margin is actually converted into equity. When you think about it, it actually means that our cash compensation is worth less because now we're trading it into equity. Right. And, and, and equity, obviously, I mean, the dollar today is definitely always worth more than a dollar tomorrow. So we take the risk already. Right. As such for the next 12 months. The amount of money that we ask to actually support the day to day is negligible compared. Right. You know, if you put it in the, the, the tunes of even some of the cheaper consultancies, probably one tenth of what they ask mm. for. Right. For, for, for that. And we take on then the responsibility of making sure that the venture arrives to a series eight and investable okay. status. Um, and so the risk is on us because if the venture actually doesn't achieve the investable status at the end of the 60 months, we lost, yeah, right? We, yeah, you know, yeah. we actually, you know, we barely paid for our, for our bills or whatever it is. Yeah. So that is the way that we treat this. Okay. The funny thing about that approach and, and, and getting into the education of corporates, in most of our discussions, we find that it's much easier for corporates to pay a million and a half bucks for a consultancy for three yeah, or four sure. months yeah. than to say, oh, I'm going to pay 1.8 and I'm going to consider it as an investment. Yeah. That is where I think the interesting gap in the model is and where I think our opportunity is, to be perfectly honest, right? Mm. Because if you look at it from the other side, if we turn it upside down, you either pay 1.5 million for three to four to five months of a consultancy and you get a beautiful report. Yeah. Or, and then you're done learning because at the end of the day, at the end of the three or four months, you're done learning about whether if you're a telco wanting to learn about fintech, you hire a consultancy for three or four months, you get a once report. Yeah. But if as fintech keeps moving on for the next year, you're done because you don't want to pay again, yeah. right? Or you pay the exact same amount and you get a year and a half, almost a year and a half worth of learning plus a company at the end, if it makes sense, yeah. right? So actually the trade-off is pretty clear. But the education, going back to your point about this is the second problem we're trying to solve, the education of these corporates becomes super interesting and what does it mean? Uh, yeah, so how do you do this? Because a corporate structure is not that easy to just boom, start a new venture somewhere outside. Right, you know, so, we're, and I think that's exactly the right question, right? So so we're exploring different models, right? I think the ones that already have a CVC or whatnot, it becomes a little bit easier. Uh, I think others, CVC uh, means like, uh, sorry, corporate venture capital. Yeah, so yeah, no, please, 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 yeah, sorry. Um, so. Uh, one of our corporate partners, uh, excuse me, which is a bank, has a, has a CVC, so it's easier for them to actually make an actual investment. And another one, we're exploring a model by which they buy a consultancy service, yeah. but that, but for that much cheaper. Yeah. And then at the end of the consultancy service, they get a $1 warrant to buy X percent of the company. Yeah. Right. And, and so 
what we believe will happen then is that, and we would form the company in between and whatnot. So everything will be done. And then with the, at the end of the consultancy project, they can, you know, whoever the, the corporate governance is, they go back to the board and say, hey, by the way, here's a beautiful report. We've now learned about this industry for a year and a half. And by the way, we now can own for $1 X percent of this company. And, and that means we already have a return on investment because this is investor wants to come in. Mm. Right. So that is what we're now trying to construct. Okay. Okay. I think it sounds super interesting. I, I want to zoom in again about the, uh, on, on the skin in the game of the founder because yeah. yesterday our mutual friend, I had a coffee with Trey Dion uh, from yeah. US who, who started Genius and BTPN and now started Jago. Yeah. And what I found, what triggered me is, is you know, we have, he's a CEO, right? He wears a suit and he's a, you know, he, I would say he's a senior guy. But in that conversation, it was only 45 minutes having a chit chat. He, he takes his phone and then starts, he became so passionate about showing the app, showing all the details. He, they, they have made some interesting features like sharing certain pockets of money with your, with your wife or your driver. And you know, when I see that passion, it, it, it really opened my eyes. So I was thinking, how do you make sure that if a founder comes into this venture and works for this big, this big corporate and also for you, how do you, how do you get that passion and energy of the founder into it he also needs to have some skin in the game right so tell me how this sure. works so i think so so first of all what we try to focus on other than you know i think consultancies and whatnot is what we call investable corporate ventures hmm. investable corporate ventures means that at the end of the 16 months they would be open to a series a uh, that brings us to the third point of educating the vcs right the one thing that vcs all traditionally talk about is that they invest in the founder so the founder is actually the most important yeah. ideas execution yeah. all these yeah. things right and so when they meet an investable venture, their first question is to say, okay, how much equities does the founder have? Right. Because I'm, I want to know that he will stay here for the next three to four yeah, or five yeah. years it's and is incentive. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So we actually solve that in a couple of ways. Uh, one, one, we do have a suggested corporate structure for, you know, for these ventures. And we actually are able to work it back into the numbers and show that it's still a good investment for the corporate structure. The second thing is what we've learned, in the, and we've seen this a couple of times, is that, that again, and this is the kind of the idiosyncrasies of the corporate, where the CFO needs to prove a return. Right. And that for and it needs to prove control. So when we first discuss about investable ventures, say, oh, I want the control over everything. Okay, awesome, right? Not easy, awesome, let's figure it out. But then when we get to the investable part and, and we actually bring in a VC, they say, oh, but now I get my return. And actually the IRR on a, on a series A, Venture normally is actually much higher than the IRR on a later, okay. and later on. Yeah, sure. yeah. And so, you come back to the same uh, your same CFO and you say, okay, listen, you can get an investment now and you can book this return, but that means you also need to get diluted a bit more because we need to make sure that the founders and money. But you get your multiples, you know, your five x, six x, whatever it is, return, right? Depending on how you know how well we can do this. So what that all of that alludes to is that the founder one starts with an equity. So we bring in a person that does start with equity, right? And and, and the equity needs to be substantial. Yeah. And more importantly, as we see again and again at Series A, there is more opening from the corporates to start saying, okay, you know what? I'm happy we got to this. I'm willing to dilute a bit more because I'm getting my return as we discussed earlier. But now I'm allowing for the for the founder to really be secure and do it, pushing it forward, right? But for the corporate, the way we do that, and this is where it's a little bit different, right? If a consultancy comes in and we've already spent a million and a half bucks on just the consultancy, the cap table and the amount of money invested is so far out of whack for any venture in the wild compared to any venture in the wild that it's very difficult to fix in there. Right. 
because the amount of money invested compared to the actual result, not so high, right? In our model, because we focus on investing a lot less money and focusing it on yeah, the actual yeah, venture, yeah. we do say to the corporate, hey, you get to invest and you get this much equity for this investment that puts your valuation at X. I'm bringing in a founder and this is part of his equity, right? And by series A, you will have your return. The founder will be much more comfortable and that's the way going forward, right? The second element of it is us, right? Which is to say, we ourselves get as giddy as you know you were just describing, right? Where where we do go to the field, we do spend a lot of time, whether it's you know uh, uh, looking at one of our ventures, looking at how chickens are slaughtered, and unfortunately, yeah, that's an interesting one, yeah. and 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 you know and going to the field and speaking with farmers, right? So we also take this founding approach, and that is part of the passion we're trying to bring. Right. So what we do is, again, venture in the wild will always be like, I'm a diehard. Uh, corporate will always be like, I'm an employee. We try to strike the middle by saying, you know, how do we merge the best of both world, equity, passion, you know, stability. And yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay. Okay. So imagine that some of our listeners are triggered by what you've just shared. And I think, especially the corporates, it's, it's, it's far off from what they're used to, right? So what are some things that they could uh, contact you for? What, how, how do you get started with it? Okay. I think there's a couple of ways to get started, right? The first is to have a discussion about what is the innovation slash strategy of, of the corporate. Right. I think that's a discussion that's worth it. And, and does it even make sense to build an investable venture? I think that that's the first question, right? And normally that question we've discussed, oh wait, but my board might approve consulting and might not approve venture building or this and that, yeah. right? What is the right venture that we should be building? If it's a digital bank for a bank, that might not be an investable ventures yeah. because it's too close to core, yeah. right? But but if it's um agricultural play for a protein player, that might make more sense, right? Yeah. Which is an example of one of the things that we've done, right? And so starting to map what is core, what is really worth learning, you know, and, and again, as, as, as reflecting on our discussions with some of our corporate partners lately and the consulting approach, it could also start as, hey, what industry would you like to learn about in a very fundamental way? And would learning about it through a venture versus hiring a bunch of consultants, would that make more sense, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, but I think the sweet spot would be market has been very volatile. Um, there's areas in the non-core that could become core in the future that we need to protect ourselves about, but we're not willing to make such strong bets on them yet. Uh, or we're trying to slowly move our business away from being a dumb pipe. We're trying to slowly move our business uh, away or, or towards our customers or whatever it is. Mm. And we don't know yet what the future will hold. And therefore, we should explore a venture-built opportunity. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that is the approach for the corporate. Yeah. If a corporate already has a corporate venture capital, or if they tried accelerators before, what they will find is normally two things. One is that often the price that they can get into a venture is a bit too expensive because the corporates will always get a premium because, oh, you're a corporate, I already have this VC and whatever it is, and they'll end up paying a bit more. And the idea there is if that corporate can find a venture that is more interesting to it, it can actually build it at much lower cost and get much higher equity, right? And that's the, the story for corporate venture capital. If you've tried an accelerator, one, you will find out similar things that, you know, you give a, a lot of money at the end of an accelerator, but you actually only have a very minuscule part mm. of the venture because that's how accelerators are structured. Yeah. 
So the ability then to get strategic alignment between the venture and the corporate is quite limited. Yeah. And so again, you will want to pinpoint a couple of places where you might not even invest much more money than you would in the accelerator, but you actually get a much better alignment of commercial. Mm. So I think these three are probably three ways to come in, but it all starts with what is your strategy around innovation? What are the potentially non-core elements that would be interesting for you as learning opportunities? And how would you engage with those as a way to start driving them up? Right. Okay. So I think this is a beautiful closing of our discussion. It gave some ideas on how co how companies could actually start thinking about in, in this way of innovating, how they could start identifying opportunities for building corporate branches and how to reach out to you. So where can people find, find out more about you? Uh, Write.partners is yeah, one. I like that URL, by the way. Uh, thank you. Yeah, right. so write that partners. Uh, I think and right, right, by the way, is with W and then right. Yes, so like Wright Brothers. I mean, the reason right. why we've taken that is because, uh, you know, we, we inspiration from how, so if you actually learn about the Wright Brothers, they, they were not the smartest kind of people in the room, you know, and their backgrounds was not aeronautics at all. It was bicycle building, right? Yeah. right? So there's a whole lot of interesting stories of how they were coming, you know, about and what they're doing. We thought that their philosophy for innovation was actually interesting. So yes, so write that partners is one. Um, partnering with Akipa, yeah. right? With 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 your company is another yeah. one. So I you think. could also contact me or one of my colleagues to have the discussion. So yeah. so I think uh, yeah, and that yeah. would be a good way to start. Okay, so Ziv, thanks for having this conversation, and uh, I'm sure we'll have many more conversations like this. So thanks for listening, and if there's any questions or discussions you would like to follow up on please reach out and then we can have a conversation one-to-one -one or with a group of your team. Okay, thanks.